The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this beautiful account of just the welcoming spirit of Jesus, Lord. Thank you for how he calls each and every one of us, Lord. And I pray that um, we take this truth to heart that you do not call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, Lord. Help us to see ourselves there today, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for just the good news um, that you have available for us to bring us new life, God. Lord, be with us this morning as the gospel is preached, Lord. I pray that it touches our heart in a way that is concrete and that moves us and changes us and transforms us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Janie. All right, good morning, everyone. Hey, it's good to see you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Randall, um, pastor here at Grace City, and uh, we are jumping into a new series uh, over the next five weeks, and so we're going to be looking at the book of Luke uh, for five weeks, and uh, this message in particular is helpful for us because it really sets up where we're really going to be uh, studying and looking at, uh, because we're going to be looking at for the next four weeks after this uh, in Luke 15. And many of us have heard Luke 15 at some point or another. Some of us have heard the story of the prodigal son or uh, the lost sheep. And so we're going to be looking at those passages. Um, But before we do that, we're going to be looking at this passage here today in Luke 5. Um, And so we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 32, but really covering um, Luke chapter 5. Now, uh, what we want to get at at this uh, point in uh, this series is uh, the heart of God. What is the heart of God? And so for some of us, we might be new today, and and I want you to get a picture of of who God is and and really his heart and and how he loves people. Um, But also, if we've uh, been coming for a while, I want us to be uh, refreshed with the the message of of the gospel, the message of good news, of the message that uh, Jesus uh, came for us. Um, And so uh, my heart today is just to go through some of this and... um, and if you're new to some of this too, I encourage you uh, to, to read this book called The Prodigal God. Uh, this is by Timothy Keller. And so we have some of these at the resource tent um, that you can uh, grab. But it's, uh, it's great because it says, Recovering the Heart of the Christian Faith. And so we want you to get what it really means to be a Christian, not just to show up on a Sunday, uh, to, to dress up, to, to come uh, at 1030 a.m. right on time and, and sit through a service. No, we want you to understand what it means uh, to be a Christian. And so that's what we're uh, looking at this series as is just a, uh, if you were go- to go to the doctor, uh, you get a checkup, right? Checkup to see how things are going. This is a checkup for the church. How are we doing? How's our heart? How's things working right now? And so the message today is the mission of God. The mission of God. 
What was Jesus's mission in the world? Uh, many people have different ideas about Jesus, and they believe that Jesus came uh, to do this or to do that, but um, the best way to understand uh, what Jesus came for is to say, what did Jesus say about himself? What did Jesus say he came to do? And so in the earlier chapters of the book of Luke, uh, people uh, during Jesus's time uh, had an idea of what they believed Jesus was there to do. They expected a savior, but they expected a certain type of savior. They expected a king that would restore them back to political power and prosperity as a nation. But Jesus's mission was much different than that. See, Jesus's mission was more nuanced and, and multidimensional than anyone during that time and even for our lives expect. So Jesus came to save, yes, but save from what? Well, he tells us in verse 32, he says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What's he saying here? Well, Jesus is saying, I didn't come for the reason you think I'm here. First, I didn't come to call those who think that they're good people or even people who are trying to be good people. I didn't come to be a good teacher who you walked out and felt really warm and fuzzy after you hear my messages. I didn't come to give you steps for a better life or a better you. No, my message is simple. I came to call sinners to repentance. See, over the years, many have misunderstood and even twisted the message of Jesus and turned it into um, something that seemed more user-friendly, palatable, uh, more politically correct. But Jesus was clear what his message was, to, to call sinners to repentance. Now, some of us today might say, well, sin, isn't that archaic? Isn't that too harsh of a word? Yes, I have struggles, but sin C.S. Lewis once said, those who do not think about their own sins make up for it by thinking incessantly about the sins of others. See, friends, one of the, 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 the things that we don't think is that sin is a problem, but, but God says that it is. See, it's easy to see it in others, but what about us? Jesus is saying that you and I, we don't see sin for what it is, that it's disturbing and it has this all-encompassing grip on our lives. It can control us. It can take us to dark places. It's worse than we realize. And it's not just for some people, but it's all people. I was reading this morning uh, in Psalm 53, and it talks about this. It says that, that no one seeks after God, but that there's no one that's good, that there's no one that's righteous. And, and it seems like, ah, oh, that's harsh. But even Jesus comes into his church in Revelation 3, 15 through 17. And here's what he says to his church. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because, uh, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus does not hold back here. And when he talks about specifically his people, his church, 
Friends, and so that's why I'm saying today that we need a tune-up. We need a heart check to come back to what is Jesus really saying and what matters most to God. In church history, there's a man named John Wesley. John Wesley uh, was the founder of uh, Methodism, and so he would go and he would preach to people um, outside of the church, and he would go to different places and preach open air so that people would hear the gospel. Well, years later, you know, after uh, he had passed away, there was a man named William Booth, and he was a Methodist preacher. He was ordained as a Methodist preacher. But he started to rock the boat a little bit because uh, William Booth would go and he would preach to uh, the, the outcasts of society. Um, he, would, he would start to gather some of these people around and he would start to bring them into the church. And so he'd file them into the church and he'd say, here, you can come sit over here. And he would sit these people, people who, who were known as liars and, and people who were known as, as prostitutes and all of these people. He would start bringing them into the church. He'd say, here, I, here's a seat for you. And then after church, the, the church people would come and say, you can't do that. Why are you bringing those people here? And so he started to get frustrated because he said, that's the message of Jesus. That's the mission of Jesus. And so he started to get frustrated. And he says, well, if the church isn't going to go, then I'm going to go to them. And so what happened was he would go, and, it, and here's what it says about him. He, he, it said he would go to the desperately poor. He preached hope and salvation. His aim was to lead people to Christ and link them to a church for further spiritual guidance. But listen to this. Many churches, however, did not accept Booth's followers because of their past. So Booth continued giving his new converts spiritual direction, challenging them uh, to save others like themselves. Soon they were preaching and singing in the streets as a living testimony to the power of God. And here's what Booth says. He says, while women weep, as they do now, I'll fight. While little children go hungry, I'll fight. While men go to prison, in and out, in and out, as they do now, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, while there is a poor lost girl upon the streets, where, where there remains one dark soul without the light of God, I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. William Booth founded the Salvation Army to reach people who were lost. See, we're in this series called Lost and Found, and, and the question is, do you see yourself in the category of people who were lost? Could we embrace that that was my spiritual state? Or do we continue to say, no, I've got it all figured out, and Christianity is just another thing that I add to the list of things that I have to do? See, friends, it's much more than that. And so our text is from Luke uh, 5, 27 through 32. But just to give some background here, in Luke 5, Jesus addresses three different people in that chapter, um, helping them to see how sin has ravaged their lives. And so he first meets this man, Peter, um, who's a fisherman. And, and Peter uh, comes in contact with Jesus. Jesus looks at him and says, okay, Peter, you're a fisherman. I want you to throw your net. I want you to cast your net on the other side. 
Peter, being a fisherman, is like, there's nothing on the other side. I know this. I've been fishing for a long time. But he throws it on the other side, and all of a sudden, he pulls up this net, and the net's starting to break because there's so many fish that are in the net, and he's experiencing this for the first time, and he's, he's seeing that, hold on, this Jesus person isn't who I thought he was, but he's different than I expected. And his response was, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. He was in the presence of the holy. He was in in the presence of good. And as Peter looked at himself, he says, I'm not worthy to be in his presence. But what does Jesus do? He says, come and follow me. And so Peter leaves the biggest catch of his life and that's pretty lucrative, right? You think about all the fish that he caught that day that he could have made money on. And Jesus says, follow me, and he does. Jesus then meets a man outcasted from society because of leprosy. This leprosy was contagious. And so anybody that would catch this leprosy would be outcasted from the city and would not be allowed to be in community with others. And so Jesus sees someone who's has leprosy, and this man comes to him and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 13 in chapter 5, Jesus says to him, he reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, be clean, and immediately the leprosy left from him. See, at that time, you don't touch lepers because that means that you're going to be contagious, but Jesus says, I am not like you. And so he goes and he touches the man with leprosy and he's healed. And so, next, Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. His friends bring him to him. They get him through the roof. They lower him down to Jesus. And Jesus uh, tells him, first, in verse 20, he looks at the man and he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Again, what does Jesus prioritize for this man who his friends have have gone at great lengths to get him in front of Jesus? What does Jesus do? He says, first, your sins are forgiven. Yeah, you're paralyzed right now, but you think your biggest issue, that's what it is. It's not. It's it's that there's sins in your life. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. And then he heals him. And what we see here is that Jesus is associating with the lowly, the broken, the outcast, the hurting, the, the ones who are outside of society. Again, uh, Pastor Tim Keller says this. He says, what does the healing of the leper mean? When you go through the Gospels, you'll see something really strange. There is a disproportionate number of what the world would consider losers what the world considers outcast, what the world considers unimportant, what the world considers defiled, that Jesus is reaching out to and touching and pulling them into community and very often making leaders. You look at the gender outsiders. 
You look at the racial outsiders. You look at lepers. You look at the tax collectors who are political outsiders. Jesus takes the people the world sees at the bottom and brings them in. Jesus looks at the people the world sees on the outside and brings them in. Why? Because that's the pattern of Jesus' own salvation. It's the pattern of his own salvation. Friends, do we see ourselves in those stories? Do we see ourselves there? And so the question is, what can we learn about Jesus' mission and why, he need, why we need it today? Uh, well, we learn that Jesus powerfully transforms life, lives, um, one, individually, two, socially, and three, theologically. One, individually, socially, theologically. And so the first one is individually. Look at verses 27 through 28. After this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And so what's happening here? Well, first it's talking about what did Jesus do? Okay, so he, he, he heals, he, he forgives, he, he comes to the, the, the broken of society. And then he, it says that he, he, he went out. He went out. Now, usually tax collectors were known to be outside of the city walls. They would collect um, tolls and, and different things like that. And um, what we see here is that Jesus is the one who intentionally goes out and looked for this guy. He looked for him. Right? When, when we talk about Psalm 53 and it, when it talks about that no one seeks after God, that no one looks for him. That we've all gone astray. It also encourages us that as we're running in the opposite direction, that God is running after us. That God is seeking after us. That God sees us where we're at right now. And next, it says this. He saw a tax collector. Now, the word here for saw is, is not like the normal word in the Greek, blepo, but it's, it's theomai. And, and, and what it means is that he looked with admiration, with care, with concern. Now, I told you a little bit about tax collectors, but they were not the ones who people looked out for. They were overlooked. I was recently talking with a friend this week, and he was telling me about why he uh, does uh, referee work, right? He, he was a coach, and he was a referee uh, for basketball. He loves basketball. And he told me, he said, you know, there's this... Um, this school for kids that are hearing impaired or deaf. And it's a school that's in our community here. And he said, I am able to ref some of these games because I know sign language. 
And so I, as some of the kids are playing, I'll walk them through uh, the game. And he tells them his name, and he, he starts to do sign language to, to some of the kids as, as they're playing the game. And, and, and he's like, I, I'm, not just, I'm not just there refereeing the game, but I'm also like helping them. I'm coaching them through like maybe why I called it this way or, or what was happening here in this play in particular. And he's like, and he said, this mom came up to him after the game. And she says, I, I, I need to talk with you and, and she's signing to him and he tells her his name and and she just she gets so like nervous and she just says she, she just looks she says look at look at this and she just puts her phone in front of him and it's just this whole explanation and she said basically in this her, her two sons were playing in the game she says thank you for seeing my sons thank you for seeing them because not many people really see them Thank you for seeing them today. Thank you for talking with them. And, um, and he, was, he was relating to them in a way that made sense. And when we think of the heart of Jesus, because as I talked to my friend, I, I was just listening to this story. I was just like, man, that is so much like Jesus. I said, like, as you think about Jesus, think about this, this tax collector who's on the outside, who's on the outskirts, who's overlooked, who's hated, and Jesus saw him and looked on him with admiration and care. See, who was Levi? Well, he was despised by his fellow Jews because they were he was known to be dishonest, and his, his group of people were known to be dishonest, crooked in their dealings. They betrayed their own people for money and were known to be wealthy because of it. See, for the tax collectors, you, you would think there's every right for us to, to overlook that type of person. But Jesus looked at him and had concern and care. And he, it, it says next that, and said to him, follow me. So Jesus went, he saw, and he said. Two words that gave life to this guy who thought his life and his opportunities to follow God or even know God were over. He'd already betrayed his people. It says about Levi, leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, this word for leaving here is the word, the, the word that, that emphasizes there was a starting point, but it was a continuous following. So it wasn't a one-time event for him, but he, this was like, I'm leaving everything behind. And think about this new life for Levi. This was a job that he could never come back to again. Right? This wasn't fishing like Peter, where Peter, we find at the end of the book of John, is going back to fishing again. This isn't like that for, for Matthew, for, for Levi here. He was, he was like, okay, I am, th this is done. This is over. My life is over in this, this part of things. Now I've accepted Jesus. I'm following Jesus. I'm leaving everything behind. And I kind of gave it away here, but this Levi is the disciple Matthew who wrote the book of Matthew. And here's the thing. Jesus met him individually. 
individually, right, right, right where he was at. See, this was his Jesus story. And when God comes into your life, you have a Jesus story. This isn't a, a celebration of you story, but this is a Jesus story about how he met you. See, and he does this individually. But secondly, it's, it's, it's socially um, that transforms. It transforms our life socially. Look, look at verse 2, uh, or, or the second point, uh, verse 29 through 30. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? What's happening here? Well, Levi, Matthew, is having this great feast. He's following Jesus and he's inviting all of his friends. See, who are the others that are there? They're, they're his tax collecting friends like it talks about, but uh, there's probably family members and other, maybe neighbors, who've distanced themselves over the years from him because of his occupation. And now, Jesus is starting to restore relationships in Levi's life that have been strained or broken over the years because of what he did, because of that decision that he made in the past. Jesus is starting to heal his life socially. You see, it's very much like the leper. Remember, the leper was the outcast of society. He was the one on the, the outside who no one would touch him, but Jesus comes in and touches him, and now he's brought back into community, relationships. Lepers lived lonely lives. Jesus brought him back. Tax collectors lived lonely lives. Jesus is bringing him back into the fold. See, Jesus does this. He, he starts to mend and heal relationships. You thought, man, that, I thought that was finished. I'll tell you, I, I, there's a friend that I have now. He wasn't a friend when I first met him. He, I, we met in middle school, and I remember he... Uh, I, I was big into basketball cards, and he, uh, he took some of those from me. And I, I remember he like, he like took some that I like valued, you know, and he like, he like kind of, and I knew it was him. I knew it was him. And so like for years, I'm like, that guy, Mike, like I do not like that guy. Anybody, anytime people talk about it, I'm like, no, Mike, no, that guy, I'm done with him. And, um, and it wasn't until later in high school when we reconnected, and, and at that point, God had saved me. I became a Christian. And so we started to talk, and, and you know, I still had that thing in me that's kind of rattling around in there of, like, you know, a little angry at this guy. I don't really like him, don't really trust him that much. But we started to become friends, and we started to hang out. And, um, and it got to this point where he told me, he says, you know, he said, I did some things that were wrong back in the past, and I did them to you. And, um, and I want to say sorry because, you know, I was, I was actually praying 
for a friend because I, I, had, I didn't feel like I had any real friends. And I was praying for a friend, and I don't know how it happened, but you came into my life. And now I'm starting to see that it was God who brought you into my life. And to this day, me and Mike are friends. He's actually a pastor. He's in ministry now. But looking back on that relationship, which I thought was like, I would never want to associate with that guy. Because of something silly that happened when we were kids. But that Jesus could, could mend relationships, right? And so you think about the way in which he can do that in your life. Because we see that he's doing that here with Matthew. Because next it says, verse 30, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Now this is, is really interesting here because Luke specific, specifically tells us that the criticism about Jesus is directed at his disciples. It's not directed at Jesus per se. It's, it's directed at his disciples. They, they grumbled at his disciples. Now this is the first place uh, that we see the term disciples used in this gospel. Um, and some believe that Luke is getting a message across to anybody who would say that they were a follower of Jesus. Here's the message. When you say that you are a follower of Jesus, you will be associated with the outcasts of society like Jesus was. You will be willing to associate with people who other people would exclude, who other people would look down upon. That would be the reputation that you would start to take on as a disciple of Jesus. Robert Stein, who's a commentator on this text, says, true Christianity has always broken down economic, social, ethnic, and racial barriers. For where Christ is truly present, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Isn't that this beautiful picture of how God is saying, come, join me at the feast. But yet we see that there are these Pharisees and scribes who knew a lot about God but didn't know God, standing on the outside, grumbling about what Jesus is doing. Because next we see three, that this is theological. This is, uh, Jesus transforms us theologically. Look at verses 31 through 32. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What is Jesus telling those who are listening, but also us, theologically? When I say theologically, I mean about God, right? This is just simply knowing about God. Who is this God that he's talking about here? What is God like? First, do you see the illustration he uses? He says a doctor and patient relationship, right? There's sickness and there's wellness. What's he saying? What he's saying is there's a sickness that you and I have that's much deeper than we realize. And it's a, it's a theological issue. It's a separation from God issue. It's a gaping hole inside of all of us 
issue that though we may feel fine on the outside, we are dead and apart from God on the inside if we don't know him. You see, Jesus knew how deadly sin is, and and he's saying, I know the answer. I know the cure. He says, first, it's, it's understanding. In my state, apart from God, is knowing that I'm a sinner. Yet, and then I'm sick. And then I need a doctor to come into my life. And he's saying, all you need to do is just confess it and, and, and believe that and, and, and accept the diagnosis. That's it? Accept it? Believe it? Like, but it's not just that. Second, do you hear the call? Do you hear the call? Do you hear his voice? Do, do you see what he says? He says, I have not come to call There's a call that's being placed out there to anyone who would listen. And this is the call. Do you see yourself in Levi? Greedy, broken relationships, hurt, pain, a trail of, of hurt and pain. Do you see yourself in Peter? Working hard. Not able to make ends meet, just working as hard as you can, but then looking at your life and, and, and saying, I'm a sinner. Do you see yourself in the leper saying, man, I, it, I just feel so cast off from society and I don't feel like I fit and I, I just don't, something's not right inside of me. Do you see yourself in the paralyzed man whose friends are taking him to Jesus and saying, you need something more? Do you see yourself sitting around a table with the people at this party? Or, but also, could you see yourself as the Pharisee sitting outside grumbling, saying, why is everybody not as good as me? I'm a good person. Why is Jesus hanging with those people? you see the call going out to all of these people? And do you see that he's calling and saying, do you see yourself in any of these people? Do you see yourself there? Because if you could see yourself there, then I want you to know that the other side is that there's a physician who can heal you. There's a physician that wants to come in and not leave you in that state, but say, hey, I want to I help you. I want to heal your life. You see that your story, my story, aren't so different from the people that are here in Luke 5. And you see that that's the reason Jesus came. Kevin DeYoung says, Jesus was a friend of sinners, not because he winked at sin, ignored sin, or enjoyed lighthearted revelry with those engaged in immorality. Jesus was a friend of sinners in that he came to save sinners and was very pleased to welcome sinners who were open to the gospel sorry for their sins and on their way to putting their faith in him friends it's destructive right and so jesus is the great physician coming into our lives and so just some takeaways let's ask three questions to help us see how jesus can transform us first one is 
How has Jesus pursued you personally? How has Jesus pursued you personally? Because for some of us, we say, well, I've grown up in church all my life. Of course I'm here on a Sunday morning. What else would I do? That's what I do. I'm not talking about coming to a church service, but I'm talking about coming to a risen Savior who loves you. That's different. See, and do you see how he was the one who pursued you and got you to this place of where you're at today? For some of us, we say, I just feel so far from God right now, but do you see that he's running after you? That's what we're going to be talking about the next weeks here, but just really how God has pursues us and comes after us. But do you see how it's personal? Second question is, how has Jesus changed you, uh, who you are willing to associate with? How has Jesus changed who you're willing to associate with? You know, I, I was just finished this book, uh, The Celtic Way of Evangelism. It was talking about the life of St. Patrick. And, and this uh, really hit me recently about St. Patrick. You know, St. Patrick uh, grew up in church. Uh, he was uh, around 400s uh, A.D. is when he lived. But with St. Patrick, um, he kind of made fun of church when he was a kid. He looked around and he just didn't take it seriously. And then at the age of 16, he was captured by pirates and taken as a slave uh, to Ireland. And so as he's uh, enslaved out there, one of his responsibilities was to uh, look after the sheep. And so he was out in uh, nature. And this is where the book talks about how he experienced God's natural revelation that God's natural creation, as he started to look around, he started to see, hold on a second. God is the one who created all of this. And all of the things that he had learned in church started to come back into his mind. And so it said he went from praying two times a day to praying over a hundred times a day, talking to God. And what happens is he has this dream. He's Sleeping one night, has this dream go. Uh, there's a boat that's going to take you back home. He goes, he, he leaves in early, early, early in the morning. There's a boat that takes him back home. And so he goes back. Uh, he was from uh, Britain. And so he goes back to Britain and he starts to train as a, as a clergyman, as a pastor. And as he's training, um, he has another dream. And this dream is of uh, the people that were in Ireland that had enslaved him. And the message was, slave boy, come back and tell us about your God. And so he started to uh, talk to some of the leadership and, and, and they said, that's, that's a vision from God. You, you need to go. And so he gets up and goes back to the people who enslaved him and tells them about God. He tells them about Jesus. He takes a clover and, and says, you see these three uh, little leaves here? That, that represents the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God. And he starts to teach them about who God is. And speaking about St. Patrick, going back to this enslaved people, 
The writer, George Hunter, writes this. He says, there is no shortcut to understanding the people. When you understand the people, you often know what to say and what to do and how. When the people know that the Christians understand them, they infer that maybe Christianity's high God understands them too. See, when, when, when they were, when the, what was Luke trying to tell us is the, the Pharisees, and they're grumbling towards the disciples. It's basically that their mission is going to be what Jesus' mission is right here. Because they are relating to them who God really is. The God who came from heaven to earth. The God who comes among us, who not only comes among us, but becomes one of us. So how has Jesus changed the way you are willing to associate, or uh, who you are willing to associate with? Because you have to apply the gospel to that. The last question is, how has Jesus changed the way you view God? How has Jesus changed the way you view God? Because when you look into the eyes of Jesus and you look into the life of Jesus, you're going to see God because Jesus is God. You know, in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a, a book, uh, The Horse and His Boy. And there's this character named Shasta in the book. Um, and about Shasta, he was born into royalty but was kidnapped as an infant and raised as a fisherman's son. And then... Uh, Shasta meets Aslan, who Aslan is the Christ figure. And he starts to share his life story with Aslan. And here's what it says in the book. It says, he told how he had never known his real father or mother and had been brought up sternly by the fishermen. And then he told the story of his escapes and how they were chased by lions and forced to swim for their lives and all of their dangers, being among the tombs and how the beasts howled at him out, out in the desert. And he told about the heat and the thirst of the, the desert uh, journey that he was on. And, and, and almost uh, at, at their uh, goal, it says, and another lion chased him and was wounded. And here's what he says at the end here. However so long it was since he had, uh, had eaten anything or had anything to eat. And then he says, uh, Aslan says, I do not call you unfortunate. After he shares all the bad, terrible things that happened, he says, I do not call you unfortunate, the large voice says. And then Shasta says, don't you think it was bad luck? What on earth do you mean? I, I just told you there were at least to the first night, he's talking about animals that were chasing him, and, and then there was only one, but he was swift of foot. And then Shasta says to Aslan, he says, how do you know? And Aslan says, I was the lion. I was the lion. And as Shasta gaped with mouth wide open, said nothing, the voice of Aslan continued. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you while you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses the new strength of fear for the last mile so that you would reach King Luna in time. And I was the lion, you do not remember, who pushed the boat in which you lay a child near death. 
so that they came to shore where the man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. What's this picture? That the things that maybe we look at in our lives and we say, how did I end up at this place? That there was a God that loved you and protected you, was seeking you the whole time. That his mission was much bigger than what you could see in that very moment. And that he was there with you. And that he loves you. Here's the gospel today, friends. In Hebrews 13, 12, it tells us this. Jesus himself suffered outside the city gate. Where did he find Levi? Sitting outside the city gate. Where does he find you and me? (laughs) Sitting outside the city gate. And what does it say? It says, so his blood would make people holy. Why did Jesus go outside the city gate? Because he's telling you and he's telling me, he's ushering us out. He's saying, hey, come outside. Come outside for just a minute. I want you to come to this place called Calvary. I want you to see that hill up there. I'm going there for you. That's where my blood will be spilled. Why? Because of sin. Sin is ugly. It'll destroy a human life. And you want to come? You want to see? Like, let me usher you out and let me let you see for a moment. That's what it cost. But I'm willing to go outside the city gate. Why? So his blood would make people holy. No longer am I sitting in my sins any longer, but I am made holy in the eyes of God. Righteous in the eyes of God. Perfect in the eyes of God. Why? Because I'm covered by the only perfect person, the only good one who's ever walked this earth, Jesus Christ. And he's saying, let me wrap you up in what I've done for you. And I'll go out there and be abandoned. I'll be the leper. I'll be the one that's the outcast. And I'll take all the insults and all the hurts and all the pains up on that cross. I'll take it on myself. Will you believe me? Will you trust me? Will you allow my life to be your good news today? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're not a distant God, that you're not a God who just winks at this world and says there's nothing wrong. But you get down to the root. You get down to the source. You get down to the place where you see the brokenness. You see the hurt. You see the injustices. You see the pain. And you say, ultimately, I'm going to take care of the, the, the first part. The first part is what, what brought us to this place. And the reason you could look in the eyes of that paralyzed man and say your sins are forgiven is because you are God. And because ultimately you would take on those sins of unforgiveness the wrath of God. And why? Because for us. And so, Lord, help us to see that clearly and help us to gaze upon the Savior who died and who raises to life. 
and makes us holy. We have a new identity because of what you've done. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.